Hello everyone and welcome to the season 5 premiere of Off The Block Swimming Podcast. Thank you all very much for downloading our show today, wherever you are in the world, right now listening. I'm your host, Robbie Cox. Now I did tell you at the end of the award show, we would be back and after three weeks away, Off The Blocks has returned and possibly with our biggest ever season premiere, which I will get to in just a moment but yes i am excited to be back because for me it means i get to speak with some awesome people from our sport and help share their stories with you guys and selfishly i get to learn some stuff along the way myself as well so many awesome episodes have already been recorded for season five coming your way before christmas and also i'm very excited for some competition giveaways as well we've got goggles we've got books we've also got otb crew merch as well so definitely kick it up in gear in season five that is for sure now listen that's enough of the introductions for me you all downloaded this episode to hear from today's very very special guest so turn the volume up and get ready because the season five premiere of off the block swimming podcast starts no. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two one hundred in the second in it. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. Oh, he's blowing him away now. Thorpe's gone more than a meter on Vanderhoof's hand. But the symmetry of all eyes is the great Madam Butterfly, Susie O'Neill. He's coming back. Oh, he surely can't do it to him again. Chavis in the white hats. Dots in the black hats. And Dots has got it. I cannot believe he's done that. Dots in front. Dots in the hall. Dots goes in. Joining me today on the podcast for a chat is a multiple-time world championship and Com Games medalist for Australia and a swimmer who in September this year was cleared to return to regular training and competition after spending two years and three months out of the sport she loves and we are very, very glad that she is back. It's a pleasure to have on the podcast for the very first time, Miss Shana Jack. Shana, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Thanks for having me here. Not a trouble at all. And uh, as you know, we've we've been um, talking for a while trying to get this together. So I'm, <laughs> I'm very um, honoured, mate, to have you on for a chat because I, I know you've been through a lot and, you know, a lot of people do sometimes leave you on red and just sort of not get back to you for these things. But you were, you were such a pro the whole way through and uh, I'm so glad that we get a chance to, to have a chat today. How's your day been anyway? My day's been good. Um, I actually have come home from work. So I had training this morning and then I had work for the rest of the day. Um, but also just touching on what you just mentioned, uh, I, I do appreciate your patience as well because I know, you know, for me, I've always been a very open and honest person. So I didn't want to come on here and, and have to turn down a lot of your questions because of the rules that I was under through my process. So um, like many others, I've had to just tell people to wait until I've been completely cleared um, so I can speak freely and give people all the you know, dirty little details, details, I guess. <laughs> yeah. No, well, I appreciate it, mate. And thank you very much. Um, as I said, yeah, it definitely shows what a pro you are because it, it doesn't happen across the board, I can assure you. So uh, I appreciate it. Now, before we get okay. stuck into those sort of conversations, I've got to ask, you know, you've been back in training now for, what is it, a couple of months, back into yeah. sort of regular training, back in and around your team at St. Peter's. What's it been like? I'm sure you've been loving it. And the other question is, how's the body been adapting, getting back to full training? 
Look, it's actually been super surprising. I thought I would actually struggle a lot more, but, um, you know, my times are doing really well. My body's in great condition. Um, you know, the greatest thing I did for myself probably during that time off was continue to keep my um, muscle strength up. And so my muscle actually maintained over the past two years. So getting back into the water, all I had to focus on was getting that connection back, um, which doesn't take as long as potentially getting your body in good condition. So um, I was really proud of myself with that um, aspect of it. And Dean was really proud, which is really nice to, you know, have that have that tick of approval from him. Um, so we're working really well together and, and really looking forward to seeing what I've got coming back in December. And the other adjustment I want to ask you about, you know, in terms of getting back in is, is more around life sort of balance. So no doubt two and nearly a half years out of the pool, you would have started to, you know, get involved in other things with work. And obviously, you know, your partner, Joel, your dogs would have seen yeah. a lot more of you. Now all of a sudden you're slowly getting back into competitive <laughs> training. Have you been finding that easy? Because I know sort of as a parent, you know, going back after a COVID break was hard to go back, you know, finding that work balance with home life as well. How have you found that? I thrive in that kind of environment where I've got a bit more routine in my life. And that's actually something I probably struggled with in that two years was not having a routine and constantly having things change in my life. Um, so, you know, even if you ask Joel or my family, they're probably really glad I'm back as well because <laughs> I was kind of one of those people that went stir crazy and just hated not having those goals and not having that passion and, and again, not having that love um, that I did have at swimming. So, you know, being back, I feel a lot more like myself. I'm really, really enjoying it. And, you know, it's a lot happier around the house, that's for sure. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to ask too, just in terms of that time out. Did you find anything during your time out of the pool that you absolutely loved and that you want to keep doing, even though, you know, you're back into full-time training now, but you found, you know, some other hobbies or, or other loves? <laughs> yeah, I definitely tried a few things. So, um, you know, I did I did vet nursing. So I did a certificate in vet nursing because I really love my animals. So I, I did that and actually found a passion within dog training. So I do a fair bit of dog training with my own dog and help out a few friends whenever they've got concerns or questions about their own animals. Um, I always help them with that. So I'm kind of like your go-to vet nurse within the families and all that. Um, I also did a um, certificate in fitness just to, you know, learn more about myself. And again, going back to training, which I knew I would be doing, ensuring that I was in the best condition. So understanding how my muscles work and understanding how I can actually apply that in my training day in and day out was really important to me. Um, but that all kind of came together in one big, I guess, collaboration um, when I decided that I actually wanted to work towards the police uh, service in the future and uh, work with the canine unit um, down the track once I voluntarily retire from swimming. Um, but currently I, I've actually, I am working at the Queensland Police Service in their um, head office. So um, that's really exciting and I'm, and I'm learning a lot, which I really, really love. Um, and hopefully I can continue that. But um, as I said, now that I'm back at swimming, it's my complete focus is on swimming. So if I have to put that dream on hold, just to focus on my swimming for now, that's definitely um, going to be a choice in the future. Yeah, we've well, definitely got plenty of time, that's for sure. And yeah. I have seen you training your dog, mate. I'll have to get you to help out. My, <laughs> mine are horrendous in terms of listening. The the beagles forever digging holes, running around the neighbourhood. Like the whole neighbourhood know who he is. Yeah. He just wanders about there. Anyway. It's, it's always fun and games. I do. I really love learning about the psychology of dogs. So um, it's, it's really interesting to me and it's always been a passion that I've continued to um, you know, help other people with, and even my next door neighbors, you know, their dog likes to break into our yard. So I've always <laughs> been trying to help them with that. But, um, 
sometimes I've just got to put a cork in it because I try to sometimes tell people how to raise their own dogs. Um, but yes, my two are here currently just sitting and watching. They don't let me, they don't let me lose sight of them. That's for sure. <laughs> well, no, you're absolutely right in terms of, you know, um, the dogs getting lo- like, so I've got a, a beagle. I don't want to get sidetracked by dog talk, but I know you <laughs> love your dog. So I know I you do. won't mind. Uh, I've got a beagle and a staffy and the staffy to put in perspective, if he got out, he would just sit around yeah. the house and just wait for people. Whereas mm-hmm. the beagle is very much uh, on the run looking for a new adventure. And I'm yeah. sure he'll come back at some stage, but it'll be <laughs> when he's ready after he's uh, had his adventure. Yeah, it's interesting because I guess it comes down to the breeds and a lot of they, a lot of the time they talk about beagles and as soon as they get a scent, they tend to follow that scent. So it is uh, a very common trait that beagles tend to get out. But the reason he's getting out is because he's bored, um, unfortunately. I didn't want you – I knew dogs, the answer, Shana. I didn't want you to say yeah, that on usually, air. Because... <laughs> yeah, usually dogs want to leave the yard because they want something else yeah. outside the yard. Yeah. No, no but, you're um, absolutely right. Yeah. And I just – I got attracted by his cute puppy face when he was so tiny and little and yeah. now yeah now I, I absolutely didn't know what I was getting myself into Look, you so can you're blame your staffy right. as well because obviously your staffy's not very entertaining for oh, him no. so I no he's like me he's very much like his owner he just lazes about he just yeah. enjoys his life he, he's quite yeah. happy just laying around well um, that's here you go well and Willa's heard her name she's already joined me there we go oh there she yeah she's the very obedient hey, one man. right she is the yeah, I, she's I, my little protector. Yeah, so we're doing some <laughs> tricks on Instagram not long ago. Now, <laughs> mate, um, you know, to give everyone a, an insight into obviously the story and that we're going to get into, I, I think it's really important to when you're telling that story to make sure we're shedding light on the fact that you know, going back to say 2017 in terms of your career, you were coming off four world championship medals in Kazan in 2017, a homecom games in 2018 on the Gold Coast, gold with the girls and breaking a world record there. You also in 2019, before we get to, you know, where, where the trouble starts mm-hmm. to come into it, you know, you made the world champs team for Guangzhou, the four by one, the four by two. Just looking back now, how much were you enjoying your swimming at this time? You know, you're making gains in the pool. Every time you're in the pool, it seemed as though you were getting one step further and one step closer to sort of breaking through. Um, you know, were, were you really enjoying your swimming at this time? Because you seemed from afar watching, obviously we see on TV, um, you seemed quite happy and enjoying yourself. Yeah, look, I loved every moment. And for me, even leading up to that, you know, moment where everything kind of went sideways or completely turn my life around um I was just I was so confident you know I know I had done the training I know I'd put the work in I'd completely sacrificed everything that I had going on in my outside of my swimming um just to make sure that I was in great condition to I guess make more of an individual stance because I had been known more for that um relay um Mm. position which I absolutely love love being part of those group of girls you know we always knew that we were such a strong team on the world scale and so I kind of just wanted to see what I was made of and and Dean and I had that conversation moving to his program I knew his program was tough I'd always heard about St Peter's and how you know how tough it can be and how much sacrifice you do have to make to be in that program um and I was ready to make that sacrifice. And that's what I did going into that. Um, so I was really, really excited to see what I was capable of. I'd kind of seen a glimpse of it in April at the Nationals where I'd kind of had my first competition under St. Peter's. And then again at the actual world trials where, you know, I made another stance, um, especially in the Toronto freestyle to make mm. the Toronto freestyle relay team. Um, you know, that was just all kind of leading up to Tokyo in 2020. 2020. 
Um, and I was so I was super excited. You know, I knew what I was capable of. I knew I could smash it. And and again, I knew us as a, as a relay team, the women's four by one, the women's four by two. If I did get that opportunity to race with them, I knew we were all capable of breaking that world record in both events. So it would have been nice to be a dual world record holder, but um, I guess that will be something I'll look forward to in the future. Actually, I'm glad you mentioned that 200. Did you go 156 at the trials? Yes, I did. So I went 156 and came third. So, you know, for me, the year before, I was in a different program and was a bit more sprint program. So I was with the Campbell sisters who are very sprint um, driven so they're, they're more the 50 100 whereas I've kind of found that my body does work better with 100 200 training mm-hmm. um, which is what Dean does um, so you know the year prior when I would do 200s I had no confidence I had no idea how to race it I'd try and try and try and I just always kind of fatigue too much whereas as soon as I started training with Dean and getting that training that I needed for that 200 freestyle you know it helped my 100 it helped my 50 and it absolutely helped my 200 and, and just made me that all more confident to actually swim that race. Yeah, absolutely. As I said, you know, it was funny just sort of doing my research and looking back and looking at that time. That definitely mm-hmm. caught my eye, that 200. Yeah. I was like, God damn. Oh, look, it was, it was yeah. phenomenal to feel. And that's, I, I had done a 157 at the Nationals in April and mm. then a 156 in the relay as a lead off. So that was already an improvement. And then I improved on that time again to actually swim at the um, World Trials to actually get that third position, which you know, it was a shock to me, but I know I had done that training and I know I had worked hard for that position. So I was really, really, I was really stoked. And especially to go in and actually represent that team on a world level, I was really looking forward to it. Yeah, no doubt. As I said, you you were absolutely flying. And I know yeah. just from that outsider's perspective, you know, you were a name that was definitely just coming across the screens a lot more and, yeah. and you were sort of pushing those limits. And as I mentioned, you know, you made that Aussie team for Guangzhou, but prior to the championships, mm-hmm. This is where, you know, the conversation <laughs> takes a turn takes for a turn. us. And, and you know, <laughs> you know, you were made aware of uh, a sample that you'd been given. I think you gave it in June uh, in sort of an out of, out of competition drug test that you had to do and came yeah. back positive for Legandrol. I'm not going into the whole, all of that sort of stuff. People can, people can research it if they want yeah. to. But, yeah. um, you know, it did show that you were not eligible to, to compete for four years. That's the information that came back. We now know two years and what five months on that this decision um was changed and and now you're getting back into it looking back now and and i can only ask this question because i've never been in this and i don't know if anybody has really that there's probably a select few in 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 the swimming world that have been through this how was it essentially being told you're guilty at that time of something you knew you hadn't done given and and that's why we spoke about everything you just achieved because you the sort of the world is your oyster at this stage you, yeah. you're sort of you know you're killing it you're on the track no doubt you've got olympic you know aspirations everything's yeah. tracking up all of a sudden you get this you know this decision handed to you basically that you've got no control over give us a, a little bit of an insight just into your mindset at that stage Look, to begin with, it all felt kind of like um, a mistake. That's that's how I read it. That's how Dean read it. That's how anybody in my inner circle who knew what was going on thought we all were like, nah, this is a complete mistake. There's no way, especially when people started to kind of explain what the substance was and tell me that it's not found in Australia and that it's a black market drug. I was like, well, there's no way in hell I've even come in contact with this. Like I couldn't have accidentally taken this substance if it's not even found in Australia. Um, so we instantly went, no, this is a big joke. They've got it wrong. 
Um, so we obviously asked them to test the B sample and we also requested that they speed that up because when I got sent home, it was about a week before World started and I was like, well, I'm not unpacking my bags. I'm going back over there as soon as this B test clears the fact that they've just made a mistake. Um, so I kind of gotten home, obviously in shock, still, you know, quite upset knowing that this is, you know, a potential that I've got to go through. Um, but in my mind, I was like, no, this is a mistake. You know, I was talking to Swimming Australia, communicating with everybody, just making sure we had a game plan of how it was going to go. Um, so I kind of went into fighter mode for those first couple days, I guess. Um, and then when that B sample came back, um, it was really hard because they actually sent me it via email, which again is just even more distorting because you kind of don't expect it. Mm. Um, so I got the email and it, I read it and kind of just, I had to reread it several times to make sure I was actually understanding what I read. And it obviously had said that I'd come back positive again. Um, and, you know, I collapsed instantly. Um, my grandma was there. She obviously, you know, fell to pieces as well, which was really, really hard to watch from my perspective. Mm. Um, and my partner's dad was also visiting just to be around us and make sure that we we're okay. Um, so it was kind of, yeah, I really fell into like a bit of a hole where I struggled to get up each day. I struggled to do anything. Um, I had no motivation because I had no idea what was happening. You know, I didn't get a list of things that said, oh, you know, this is what's going to happen next and this is going to happen next and then you got to yeah. do this and then you got to do this. It was just a wait and see what happens. Um, you know, my mum went into fighter mode for me during that time a lot so I didn't have to worry too much. So she was dealing with the lawyers, dealing with the money, all those things from the beginning. So she was, you know, a really, really big warrior for me. Um, but it just got harder and harder, the whole process. Things just kept getting dragged out. Um, you know, you'd be told one thing and then another thing would happen, um, especially when it comes to, you know, the money side of things, the process side of things, the support, all of those aspects were completely like, oh, you know, we'll give you this. But then in the end, they do the complete opposite. You know, mm. for an example, I was told the whole process would take me six to nine months. Then I got told, oh, no, it's going to be nine to a year now. And I was like, okay, fine. And then all of a sudden it ends up at two years. Um, so for me to constantly have to adapt to that was really, really difficult. And I could not see, I had like very little motivation. Um, it did get better over the period of time once I started to kind of accept what had happened um, and tried to see, you know, that there was going to be an end to it and, and all those kind of things. But at the beginning, I could see no end. And it's very difficult for someone who's very comfortable in control, very comfortable with a routine to completely change that and try and find the good in it. Mm. Um, I am someone who tries to see the positive in things, but I just could not, I could see no positive. Um, I could see me losing my swimming career. I could see, you know, me trying to find something I had no idea about, no idea where it came from, no idea what it even was in the first place. And again, very little help when it came to actually knowing where to look, what to do, what's a possibility, what's not a possibility. Um, and it's only till when you get to the end, you actually learn all the information you probably needed at the beginning. Yeah. And that's probably what I really struggled with was there was no cheat sheet of, hey, if you want to um, prove non-intent, you need to prove A, B, C and D. Um, but for me, it was just throw you out in the world, in a world you have no idea about. You get no money support. You get no support from the outside organizations that you've worked with for, you know, 10 years of your life. Um, and you've got to do it all on your own. And that was a very, very scary place to be in, um, mm. which, you know, for me, my partner, my family, we we're all doing the best we could. But um, 
you know, in the end, we obviously got the, we got the labeled result that we wanted and the labeled result that is accurate, which is I didn't intentionally take anything. But from my perspective, I still lost two years of my career. You know, I still lost all of my life savings that I was saving for a house one day um, and that I had worked really, really hard for. Um, So kind of facing those realizations was still really difficult. Even at the end, when I got cleared, it still wasn't a good feeling. Um, I still felt, you know, like I'd lost a lot. Yeah, I guess it's one of those things for you. And that's sort of why I asked it that way. And I wanted sort of more than me telling the story. I I wanted you to tell it from your perspective. But yeah, I can only imagine, as I said, you know, knowing, as I said, your innocence and knowing that you hadn't done these things for people sort of labeling you and telling you these things. And then as you just, you know, really well sort of explained, you know, people weren't giving you the answers either to sort of how to get out of it. They're like, here you go, you're in the hole. And yeah. uh, we'll we'll talk to you when you get out of it. And you're you're in there going, yeah. what do you mean? So and it's you know, even, yeah. it's even scarier knowing that, like you know, I guess now I do a lot with the police, and obviously I I'm actually studying criminology as well at the same time. Um, you know, you learn a lot about the um, criminal justice system, and obviously you're innocent till proven guilty. Um, and if you can't afford a lawyer, you get given one to ensure that you are given an opportunity to prove innocence. Um, Whereas this system's very different. It's you're guilty until you prove your innocence and you've got to be the one who finds all the information. You've got to be the one who does all the testing and you've also got to pay for a lawyer and barrister at the same time. Um, And if you don't, you get given the maximum ban no matter what. You know, there's no further investigation. It's just you get the maximum ban. So in the end, I didn't even feel like I had a choice. I either found the money or I didn't. And if I didn't find the money, if I didn't find the right people, I was going to get four years and completely lose my career. Um, And I am a stubborn person, so I wasn't going to let that happen. So I did everything I could and ensured that, you know, my family and my partner and everyone were on the same page because there were times that I obviously didn't want to continue and they were the ones that knew what I'd said from the beginning and they were the ones that kind of continued to make sure I pushed forward. Yeah. Well, it seems, and and it doesn't sound like there were many times where you, you know, you didn't want to keep going. Cause as you said, you seem very, you know, driven and, and, and rightly so, because you were correct in your convictions. It's not like you were just trying to hide something, you know, you were no. very much, you know, in the right there. So I think anybody in your position would be just as driven, but w- was there any moments when you were sort of thinking about like, bloody hell, like, I don't know if I want to keep going. Did it cross your mind at all in terms of, you know, oh, but this is going to come across as maybe I am guilty or did you not really care about what anybody else thought at that stage? Was Were you driving forward, you know, on your own convictions, not really worrying about what anybody else was sort of thinking? Um, that's a great question. I, I wasn't really ever thinking about what other people thought in regards to me being guilty or not because I, from the beginning, like I said to myself, I know who I am, I know what I represent and I know I didn't do anything wrong to deserve this. And I know the people who know me and who actually know how hard I work and know the things that I do and and know my morals and character, that this is definitely not something I would ever do to myself or the people around me. And even for my sport, like I would never do that to my sport. Um, So I wasn't ever concerned about that. But in relation to kind of like wanting to throw in a towel, look, there was many times actually like, and that was always, you know, those emotional days where you just kind of feel completely drained. Like you're never going to win. Like, you know, I was going up against originally my first decision was based around me up against sports integrity, Australia. 
And that's one of the biggest companies in Australia. You know, they're government funded. I'm a 20 year old at the time thinking, how am I going to be somebody who's got all the money in the world and have all this knowledge that I have no idea about? So I kind of always felt like there was no way I was going to win. If they want to win, they'll win. Um, it, It felt very unbalanced when it came it's like this on the scale of fairness in relation to you know the the funds that went into each party or um you know the support that each party had you know I had myself and my family and you know the people I paid for um so you know it just felt like I couldn't win that's sometimes how I felt like you know if I got sent an email that said such and such and it was completely you know something that I'd been looking forward to finding a result out or you know, getting some help in something and it was a complete no, I just felt like my whole world came crashing down again. And sometimes that became a lot to handle. You know, I sometimes got given, you know, a $10,000 bill from my previous lawyer. And then at the same time, Sports Integrity Australia would tell me they won't share their concentration level with me. And those things are very important factors for my case to continue. And I just continuously felt like I was being, you know, knocked down and, and beaten on the ground kind of thing. Um, so that was kind of a continuous thing that I had to face during the two years. Um, but the biggest moment for me when it came to really, really being close to throwing in the towel was when they appealed. Um, when I had finally felt like I could come up for air and finally feel like I could move on with my life and look forward to being back at swimming and just fall in love with it again, they appeal. And, you know, and their appeal just caught us off guard. We had no idea they had, they were going to, there was no reason for them to, you know, we didn't get given a reason. Um, They just decided to appeal and, you know, WADA got involved as well. So now I was going against them again. They knew I had no money because they'd seen my bank statements and they expected me to be able to pay for it. Um, So it was like, well, I had no money to actually continue Um, my parents had spent enough on me you know during that time Um, and again it felt like I just couldn't win if you know I've already felt like I'd won the first round and yet they didn't like that so they took me through it again and it's a complete new process again it's like going from the beginning Um, and now not only against one of the biggest companies in Australia but two of the biggest companies in the world yeah and and I guess to put it into context for you again you know all of this is happening and you're still sitting there going I, like I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm in this, I haven't done this. And yeah. not only have I sort of got myself out of the hole, now they want to put yeah. me back into it. 100%. I want to quickly ask, did, you know, answer this or don't answer this because I'm not trying to get controversial here, but around this time, obviously in 2019, we know what happened in Guangzhou. We know what happened with Sun Yang and we know mm-hmm. what happened with all of that sort of stuff. Did that impact on you at all? Do you think in any way in terms of Swimming Australia or support that you were given, people sort of pulled away from you at that point because of what was happening there and they didn't want to, you know, obviously we, you know, we know you're innocent, you're back in the pool yeah. now, but at that time, <laughs> did, did that impact on you? Um, I don't think it impacted like the decisions people made in regards to, you know, whether they spoke to me or not or um, whether they supported me or not. That was decisions that they made no matter, regardless of what was happening with Mac and Sun Yang. Um, but that situation, I actually watched it. Like I physically, (laughs) I physically watched that unfold and it was weird because I not once actually thought that it would relate to me because I'm sitting there going, well, I'm innocent. I haven't done anything wrong. This is a big mistake. 
whereas you know there might be other discussions around the reasons Mac did what he did. Yeah. So I was not really seeing that there was going to be that connection made um, until obviously my situation got leaked and my phone blew up and I had messages and obviously trolls and all of those things that came with that. Um, which, you know, it, it obviously shocked me and I tried to stay away from it as much as possible, but um, it made a massive impact when it came to, you know, I guess that social media abuse and um, I guess relentless messaging from people who don't know me and just wanted to have an a- attack at me because why not? Yeah, it's, well, it's quite sad, really, because I, I know at that around that time I was definitely giving you words of encouragement, but I, I, I just don't understand why people, you know, would be, um, and you know, I'm sure you know this by now, having been through it. But it says more about them and how sad they are with their own lives rather than anything that's going on with you or you know anybody that gets trolled for, for that way. But you know, do you have any just just quickly while we're on it, do you have any sort of advice for people out there who who may be going through that sort of stuff? I think. We saw um, a few people going through that uh, recently and I saw a couple of um, Instagram stories where some, some swimmers definitely are really good with uh, naming and shaming, yeah. let's, let's say it that way. But do you have any <laughs> advice for those who maybe are going through that sort of stuff? Look, I probably don't have advice in regards to actually, you know, conflicting with them. Like I never, um, I guess, spoke to any of pers- the people or responded to God any God damn, of them. that dog's big. He just walked in. I yeah. just thought you had a, your um, neighbour had come over or something. But anyway, no, sorry. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, I don't have, I guess, advice in relation to actually discussing. Like I do know some swimmers do name and shame and actually bring them out. But in the circumstance that I was going through, like I had thousands of people and, you know, I couldn't even keep track of who was saying what. That's the thing. I probably didn't even see most of them because of the fact that I was kind of getting influxed <laughs> with positive yeah. and the negative. Um, and so my, I guess, guidance around you know, negative things, whether it be people you know or people you don't know or trolls or all those things. It's always around, you know, having that self-belief and being really confident in yourself and being proud of who you are. And and look, that didn't come straight away for me. Like that's kind of only come through going through what I went through. Um, but I make sure every day I can look at myself and be proud of who I am and be proud of the kind of person I am in the pool, out of the pool and the way I represent myself as a human being and making sure that I'm always true to that. If I can't be true to that and can't own that and own all of my flaws and my, you know, positive parts about me, then, you know, I need to have a look within myself and find out what I'm not happy with. Um, and that's unfortunately sometimes the reason why people say horrible things. You know, you don't know what, you know, if it is someone that actually has a name to their profile and they're saying something that's negative, I always think I have no idea what they're going through they obviously don't understand my life because social media is only what I show you. It is not the bad things. It is not Mm. the sad days. You know, you don't see my life. So I show you what I want you to see. Um, And usually it's positive because that's what my profile is all about. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I don't tend to bite with those people because sometimes they're just looking for someone to blame because they're feeling their own pain and they just want someone to have a go at. Yeah, 100%. And I, it's so funny you say that about, you know, you just sort of show people what they want to see. I used to say that to my wife when our daughter was sort of really young and she'd put the photos <laughs> on Instagram of how, you know, Charlie was so happy at the beach. Yes. And I'm like, no, no, get this photo now <laughs> where she's screaming and she's, screaming. yeah, yeah, <laughs> let's put this up where we're not yeah. such a happy family because nobody ever gets to see that while we're just yeah. fighting in the back because yeah. we're all tired. 
I think a lot of us try to be as real as we can, but you know, like I'm not going to sit there and show you the days that I'm crying because I don't want people to panic. And I don't like, I know that I'm allowed to be upset sometimes and it's okay to not be perfect all the time. And it's okay to not be happy all the time. But you know, the way I show people on Instagram or on social media is, isn't showing them, you know, me working hard, me training hard and me trying to be as positive as I can, which is what I do in person as well. So my, you know, the way I deal with social media is always, what would I give people in person is the same as what I would give them on social media. Um, I wouldn't go out in public if I'm bullying my eyes out. Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah. No, no, good point, mate. Now, you know, I, I want to take you to an interview you did recently. I think it was for the Courier Mail. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, during your ban, um, you know, you felt uh, that you didn't want to be around anymore. You didn't see mm-hmm. any purpose to, to life now that you couldn't do, I guess, what essentially, you know, you perceived to be, you, you were defined as, you know, a swimmer. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, or an elite swimmer, you know, and that's a powerful conversation, especially around mental health and mental fitness. Um, mm-hmm. And from this sort of interview and this chat, mate, I've got a few questions to ask. Feel free to tell me to rack mm-hmm. off if you don't, <laughs> if you're not happy to answer them. No, that's right. uh, but, you know, it's all around, I, I think, just helping people that may be going through these situations as well. Now, the first question I wanted to ask, um, you know, obviously this was a dark sort of period for you personally. What was it like? having to do sort of pool sessions on your own because that that's got to be sort of i guess alienating making you feel as if you know you you you've obviously again you've done something wrong even though you know you haven't mm-hmm. you, you can't be around people what was that like for you so there's probably several answers to this one question um it's like because there were so many restrictions around what I couldn't couldn't do. Like I couldn't go to an accredited pool. I couldn't go during squad times. I couldn't do A, B, C, and D. And that was really really frustrating in itself because I obviously you know had to work, had to earn money, you know, had to try and keep some sort of activity outside my house because otherwise I would have gone insane. Um, and you know those things were good distractions when it came to working and getting outside my house. But I wanted to train and wanted to do more, but you know, around those restrictions, I could only go certain times and sometimes I'd be working. And then by the time I finished work, I wasn't allowed to go to the pool because there were squads at the pool. So there was that, you know, barrier that already started from the beginning. Um, And then it was, again, it was the barriers of like my own internal, I guess, demons that I had to face was I would love swimming. Whenever I went for a swim, I felt great. It made me feel peaceful. It made me feel exactly the way I usually would feel in regards to the way swimming makes me feel makes me feel peaceful it makes me feel like I'm floating on air um it was more when I came home it was the realization that I'm not with my squad I'm not with my coach I don't get to work towards the goals that I used to I don't actually have any swimming goals because I'm on this you know area of the unknown Mm. um and I would be very very angry and upset you know I would come home and I just have such anger inside that I would just think why me? Why is this happening to me? Like, what the hell did I do wrong? What can I do to change it? And I try and do things, you know, try and talk to my lawyer or try and get stuff done with my case and it would just go nowhere. So again, it just felt like I was beating myself up all the time. So as much as the pool probably helped me mentally and and all those kind of things, it also made things harder because I'd come home and be quite resentful towards swimming. And that was kind of the conversation that I had like with my partner and stuff. I said, I'm not going to force myself to go to the pool. I don't want to resent swimming. I want to love swimming. So I am only going to go to the pool when I want to love swimming. 
Um, and that was the same kind of concept I came back with swimming with, you know, I knew it wasn't always going to be easy. So I kind of came back bit by bit and thought, well, I want to love this sport again. If I wake up one morning and just want to give myself a morning off, I'm going to do that at the start. Um, and now obviously I've switched back on ready to go and <laughs> now I don't get sessions off, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, it was kind of that concept of actually trying to deal with that um, and all the emotions that my body physically and mentally would feel um, towards swimming, which which was actually kind of heartbreaking for me because I love swimming. Um, but during that time, it was very, very difficult to love. Mm. Excuse my um, my sort of naivety or, or not knowing. Were you able to speak to Dean much through this period of time? Was he able to it was it i mean i don't know how they would even govern that sort of mm. conversation but were you able to speak to your coach through that time uh look there was definitely restrictions around the conversations with me and dean or anybody in relation to coaching in general um so he couldn't talk to me very much and he wanted to talk to me more but he knew that it would look like he potentially was coaching me if he was calling me every mm. week so the only times we probably spoke was when I was in a really bad place. Um, yeah. He'd probably be my go-to call. Um, you know, I obviously have my partner and my family, but, you know, a coach sometimes knows just a bit more about how much swimming truly meant to me because he physically had watched it on pool deck. Um, so sometimes I would actually turn to him. Like I remember calling him, I think, at 10 o'clock at night, just bawling my eyes out and not wanting to continue on. And, you know, he'd be that kind of motivation that I would just need sometimes. Um, and I'm never going to apologise for doing that. Like I don't care in regards to, you know, if that was a rule or not um, because I needed him and um, he also needed me sometimes. So I think that whenever I asked for help from him, that was all I got. It was nothing other than just support mentally. Yeah. Well, as you said, I think absolutely it would, would have been needed. And, and as you said, yeah. rightly so, you know, your coach sort of knows exactly what you're going through at that time. And we've sort of said those darker moments that you were going through, um, you know, what was, was there a, a moment for you? Was there a turning point? Was there a point you got to in that period of time where you're like, Do you know what, I'm not going to sit in this space anymore. I, I want to start moving forward. I mean, share as much or as little as you like, as I said, I know these are personal conversations, but yeah. for me, I, I only ask it just around, you know, if there were are people out there listening that are going through these sort of situations as well. And that's why I've always been really honest with this situation. Like, um, you know, it's never obviously easy to kind of feel the emotions that I felt in those times or kind of recap on them. But I know it's important and I know it's important because I obviously kind of went through it. Um, and I hope that, you know, I know people will go through it and I just want to make sure that people do either get help or, or can make it out through the other ends, which is why I bring this topic up and actually I'm quite open about it. I'm not going to lie to people and tell everybody that it was always happy days and I was always positive because um, mm. that's just not the truth. Um, so in regards to, you know, those negative times, there was, you know, a fair few, especially at the beginning um, my worst was, uh, literally like, so I got given my first, I guess, decision, um, from Sports Integrity Australia on Christmas Eve, um, 2019, which told me that I was, you know, that they were inflicting four years, um, and that I had to pay 15 grand within two weeks if I wanted to continue and take it to Cass. Um, so getting that on Christmas Eve, when I was away from my family, I was actually with my partner's family in Townsville, again, like, they kind of knew what we were going, what, what was happening, what was going on, but they hadn't physically seen it. So I was still trying to put on a brave face for them and act yeah. strong and be tough. 
So I couldn't really think, I didn't really think that I could give myself that time to actually deal with that. So I just kind of ignored it, um, ignored my emotions, I guess I could say, um, which just kind of got worse progressively at the start of 2020. Um, you know, my original lawyer and I weren't getting along very well. I was asking him to do certain things and they just weren't coming through with the results. Um, and I was getting quite frustrated. My family jumped in to kind of back me with that. Um, and that just became a problem that we just didn't want to continue to deal with. So we kind of parted ways. So again, I had to try and find myself a new lawyer that I could afford and actually who would listen to what I wanted in regards to this process. Um, so it was just really, really tough to go through. And I just, as you said, I felt like I couldn't deal with it anymore. I was mm. getting constant bills that I didn't know if I could afford for how long I was going to afford them for. Um, constantly being shut down with barriers or people telling me no or people telling me that I haven't found the, you know, actually found the gandrol. Like I tested a fair few things and they just kind of kept coming back negative. I get, I'd feel positive and think, oh, this could potentially be it. And then it would be a no. Um, so I just constantly felt like I was getting beat down. Um, and every time I tried to come up for air, you know, something else would happen. So um, I felt like I'd lost my identity as a person and I felt like I'd lost my purpose in life, um, which was a really scary thing to kind of go through because um, it got to a point where I felt like other people would be better off without me. Um, because I felt like my case was dragging my family down. Um, I felt like it was dragging my partner down because I was constantly upset. I was constantly angry. There wasn't much happiness around me and I just felt like I brought people down, which is the opposite of what I want to do in life. Um, yeah. I want to be somebody that lifts people up. So, um, yeah, it got to, you know, a pretty bad point that I no longer wanted to be around and I'd had pretty bad thoughts. Um, and it was only that my partner kind of jumped in. So I'd actually, I had actually called him and, and got him home, um, which was probably the smartest thing I did. And he got home in time to ensure that, you know, nothing had happened, um, or, you know, nothing had been taken too far. Um, and, you know, he said that I need to talk to someone, you know, he, he put his foot down. He's like, you can't keep carrying on like this as in like, you know, I can't continue to do this to myself yeah. and beat myself up. I need to do what's right for myself and the people around me as much as I kept telling them that, you know, I'm a burden to them. Um, they obviously reminded me that I wasn't and, and that I'm, you know, I have more purpose in life than just to me. Um, and that was something that my family and partner reminded me of as much as they could. Um, and, you know, I guess once you kind of get through that, I kind of looked at myself and went, yep, you know, this is not who I am. This is not what I want to do in life. I don't want to be this person. I, you know, this is, there's something wrong. Uh, I need to get help. So I contacted my doctor who was also the doctor who was helping me through this process. He was actually someone who was like looking into people who could, you know, find Legandrol or find out where Legandrol could be in contact with. Um, so he, he was actually the Swimming Australia contracted doctor. So that's kind of how I knew him. Um, and I went to him and I just said, you know, I'm not sleeping, I'm not eating, I'm having these horrible thoughts. I don't want to be that like that person that feels like this. Um, and he instantly was like, yeah, we need to do something about this because obviously, you know, the lack of sleep and the emotions are just kind of clouding my judgments and my decision making. Um, 
So he got me onto a psychiatrist as well. So he'd actually given me something to start off with in relation to medication just to keep keep me sleeping and get me that um, sleep that I was needing. Um, and then I saw a psychiatrist within a week. Um, and, you know, he, again, knew and saw all these signs that were just, you know, obviously very tough to deal with. And he um, diagnosed me with um, reactive depression. So in simple terms, every time I felt like I was getting better, something would knock me down and my body would react to that. And it kind of got to a point that it was so exhausted from reacting to all these traumas that it was giving up. Um, so that kind of was the step in the right direction for me. And I guess my way of thinking and, and kind of communicating it to anybody else is if you can't look at yourself in the mirror and again, be proud of who you are and own everything that you do every day, then you need to get help. You know, it can be positive. It can be negative. Like if you're someone who feels like you're putting on a mask each day, that is still a sign of somebody who potentially needs help or someone to talk to. Um, whether, you know, if, you, if it's too hard to go straight to, you know, psychologist or psychiatrist, you know, find somebody that you trust that you go, okay, I need to talk to someone about how I'm feeling. You know, maybe I just need a really good cry. Um, and that is just a step in the right direction. All you need to do is take one small step and you're heading in the right direction um, because no one um, should go through something like that alone. Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, you, you said it best yourself there, mate. And, and I, you know, I, I feel really, I do feel for you and what you went through and, and you know that anyway with our communication over the last couple of years, but just sort of hearing it from your words now sort of rings true. And, you know, I was getting sort of, uh emotional just hearing that story and, and i don't think anybody in that situation you know would would be able to i i think handle it any differently our minds are, are such a, a dangerous place when we're on our own and yeah. i think you know the best thing that your partner did there was saying you know speak to somebody whether it's me or whether it's whoever you've got to you know get these things off your chest because you were just you know, you had the gloves on and you were swinging wildly, but, you know, by the sounds of it, it was just starting to to get to you. And I think, you know, as you said, and, and great advice, just talking to people, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with you just because you're not feeling well, you know, and you're having these thoughts and you need to speak to someone. And I think once we change that concept, uh, I think, um, you know, communication is the key to everything. So thank you very much for, for sharing that, mate. And the other thing that you raised in, in that, sort of interview that I, I want to sort of go back to and I guess I'm paraphrasing here but when you were saying you didn't want to be around anymore is you know because you know you couldn't be a swimmer and I guess you know as an athlete you know as I said that's what you sort of identified as and, and you couldn't be that anymore I'm curious now removed sort of from those dark days did you learn lessons from that period in your life now going forward that maybe you wouldn't define yourself obviously you do want to go on and do, be successful in the pool and and I'm, I'm not taking that away from you at all but mm -hmm. do you sort of look at it now and go do you know what I'm, I am a lot more than that and if in if, if tomorrow everything changed again I, I now have a different outlook on life where I feel like I would be able to handle it I guess a, a bit differently yeah that's a really good question because I think um I think it's Stop very saying that, by every... the way. My head's getting Sorry. bigger. You keep I telling me it's... how good my questions are. My head's growing. <laughs> I think it's very, um, it's a very good question in relation to everybody, though. Like, mm. it's not just swimmers that identify themselves as swimmers. You know, if I asked you what you did, you would tell me your job. Um, you know, if I asked somebody else what they did, they would tell me their job. Everybody yeah. kind of identifies themselves by what they do, not who they are. 
So I've kind of, um, I guess, really taken on board either, you know, outside factors and, and, and people who I've kind of met along the way. So Ant Middleton, I remember, um, you know, in his book, he even talks about, you know, identifying yourself by who you are, not what you do. So, you know, when I, um, you know, talk to people and someone says, well, you know, who are you? You know, I'm going to be, I'm a determined, resilient, powerful, inspirational young woman who wants to do good with my life. And that's who I am. Swimming is just what I can use to do that. You know, in the police service, that's what I can use to do that and be that person. Um, And that's kind of how I picture myself now is, is, you know, having these passions and using those passions to be who I am. And that's kind of what I want for everybody. And it's, and it's hard. It's not easy to find out what you actually are passionate about and love in life. Um, you know, people in uni, they start in one thing and they change to another. And then in the end, they hate it. Um, but people need to realize that it's okay to choose to take a different path. You know, it might be scary and it might be hard to make that decision. But if you are doing what you truly deep down believe you think is right for yourself, you know, mentally, physically, and as a human being and who you want to be, then make that decision because it will be the best decision you've ever made. And, you know, in, in relation to that, I'm in a way grateful for what I went through because I'm, you know, so much stronger. I'm so much more resilient and determined and and um, grateful for who I am. You know, I'm so grateful for who I am and, and in the way the lesson that I learned in regards to when I voluntarily retire from swimming, I will be an awesome human being and I will have so many passions that I want to follow after swimming. But at this time, swimming will come first and swimming is my passion still. And I do want to still give myself that opportunity to achieve the goals that I've always had since I was a young girl. Um, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to not have other goals outside of it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. And is that the advice you'd give to the young athletes coming through is to, to try and find that good balance between you know, being an elite athlete, but also, you know, seeing yourself outside of it. I'm not saying people need to, you know, all of a sudden when they're 20, look at retirement. Okay, well, when I stop swimming, I'm (laughs) going to do this. But I I do think, as you touched on there, it's important for swimmers. You know, I certainly encourage my athletes to, you know, make sure they're, you know, studying or make sure they're, you know, trying to do some work or, yes, I want to see them at the pool. I want to see, but, you know, I care more about them as a human being than than just an athlete. Is that sort of the, the advice you'd give as well? My advice would be get as much experience in life as possible as you're going through your swimming career. Like for me, obviously, I was studying during my swimming career and I thought I'd found what I would want to do after I finished swimming. I was very wrong, you know, until I actually physically, you know, sit at a desk every day and work out how that makes me feel. I'm not going to know if I want to do that anymore. So, you know, experiences, it doesn't have to be specifically that one thing that you think of. But, you know, for me, you know, vet nursing, I thought that was something that I'd be interested in. As soon as I started volunteering and seeing what it's like working with animals all the time and cleaning up their crap, I realized (laughs) I don't want to pick up crap. (laughs) I've got enough with my own dogs. So... (laughs) So it's, you know, it's just, it's, it's just life experience and it's really not too difficult. Like, especially with the um, opportunities you can get through TAFE and through, you know, different certificates that you can get, they might not be, you know, diplomas or bachelor of science or whatever it might be, but they're still in the step in the right direction of learning what you might be passionate about. You know, now I'm, you know, a SADA accredited level one, a strength and conditioning coach. No, I'm probably not going to use it but I liked being involved in that area and I was passionate about sport and about being involved as a strength coach. So, you know, that's still an option for me in the future because I've given myself that option. 
Um, so it doesn't kind of put me in a little hole and go, oh, you studied this, you have to do this when you're older. Yeah. It goes, well, you've done a few different things. Now you can choose. Um, yeah, so that's I think, kind of... I think that's great advice, mate. And the reason I laugh so much when you're saying about, you know, learning that you didn't want to clean up all that crap is <laughs> it reminded me, so when I was uh, 16, I, I and this is a while back now when Wonderland was around here in Sydney. And anyway, they had a wildlife park at Wonderland <laughs> and I wanted to work with animals and stuff yeah. like that. And I wanted to work in zoos or whether it was an yeah. aquarium, whatever it, it is. It was the same as me. I wanted to do the same thing. Yeah. And so I did work experience for a week at, at this, you know, and I just spent the week preparing food, giving the yeah. food, going back, cleaning <laughs> up after what they've done with the food, yeah. going back, getting more food, giving them the food and just circling back around. And I said, well, are we going to get time to play with these animals? They said, well, yeah, they're not nah. pets. Yeah. What do you mean play with these animals? So, yeah, yeah it just resonated with me you a lot. You practically but, a waiter for animals. That's about it. <laughs> basically. Yeah, basically yeah. that was it. And um, that's what I mean. You're from an outside perspective, you might see cool jobs and everything like that, but you forget that you've kind of sometimes got to start at the bottom and work your way up. And it's, unless you're willing to do that, then sometimes it's just not the job for you. Um, and and that's just as simple as it is. It's it's get as much life experience as you can. Um, and as a 23 year old now, like I can say, I've had a fair bit of life experience when it comes to work, legal teams, all those things. So um, I'm very well educated, which is nice. Yeah, absolutely. You could go into, you know, being a lawyer at some stage, really, if you wanted to. After <laughs> Look, I did if... think about it. And my, my lawyer would actually call me a bush lawyer because I was, <laughs> I did understand uh, law really well. I think for me, I just don't enjoy reading that much. So I don't think I do very well when it comes to actually studying it. Yeah, no, I don't blame you. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, in terms of just going back to the, you know, running with the animals, the other uh, reason I didn't want to go back, Shana, was I actually put down food once for a wombat and it ran out of its <laughs> hole and chased me. And I'd never been so scared in my life. And I actually moved quick. Yeah. So for anyone yeah. who doesn't, they just see no, them lumbering about, they can move so Fair quick. Fast. And anyway, I jumped over that fence and I thought, that's it. I'm not doing yeah. this shit. This is that's not for it. me. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. You, if it makes you run, I'd stop too. My yeah, God, running for my is life. not for me. Yeah, lucky I was in better shape back then. I could leap straight <laughs> over that that fence really quickly. Not these days. Yeah. I would have got caught and tripped over. Yeah. <laughs> uh, mate, the last thing I want to get into with, with that interview you did, um, you mentioned, um, and we sort of got touched on it here, that you, you didn't feel a lot of support from your sport. What advice would you have now for Swimming Australia moving forward regarding supporting athletes, you know, no matter what situations they find themselves in? Because I think we can all agree just leaving athletes out there to fend for themselves probably isn't the right way to go. What sort of balance do you think we can, we can find? What advice would you give? Yeah, look, I'm actually working closely with Swimming Australia and I'm actually doing something with Sports Integrity Australia to kind of ensure that those things, I guess, don't repeat themselves because my biggest fear is that, you know, I am a strong, happy, confident person that tries to see the positive in everything and I struggle to get through the process. So I, my biggest concern was in the future if something happened to another athlete that wasn't as strong or potentially didn't have, you know, my family, like the support that I had, like my family and partner and my dogs. Um you know, they might not get through that process. And that's a really scary thing for me to see from an um, outside perspective. And and I want to do everything I can in my power currently at this time to prevent that from happening. So, you know, my advice to them has just kind of been like, you know, we're going into this process. Yes, I don't believe that I got the support that I needed from the organisations that um, I was affiliated with, you know, but 
we can all learn something from it now. You know, no one can say that they don't have to change the way they do their processing now. Like every single group needs to change something. And, you know, they know that. And I am grateful for that. They have acknowledged the fact that things need to change and, and they do need to change their support networks and actually how they do things and how they handle things. Um, but from the from the beginning, it was hard for me to kind of understand that concept. And, and now kind of chatting to them, I've, you know, they obviously have apologized and said that they um, wish they could have done more, but under their policies and under their rules, they couldn't. But now that we're out of it, I'm working with them to actually go through what I went through, go through where they could have improved. Um, and that's what's important to me. And it's important for me knowing that, we all went into this not knowing how it was going to go. Like we, it was kind of very new for all of us, um, especially swimming Australia and myself. So as long as they've taken that on board and gone, yep, we can now learn from this experience and improve our systems to ensure that this doesn't happen again and an athlete doesn't get ostracised the way I was because it was a very scary situation. Being in a world that I've known since I was, you know, a young child and especially in a world I've been part of swimming Australia since I was 13, um, and being kind of literally kicked out and left hanging in the wind was very scary because everything I had known, whether it be swimming, training, friendship groups, all of those things were kind of boarded off to be safe. You know, they kind of did things on their end as well just to be safe to ensure they were abiding by rules as well. But, um, yeah, I guess moving forward, we're going to do everything we can to ensure that doesn't happen to another athlete. Well, absolutely. And I, I think, um, you know, the sport's going to be better for it, mate. And I, I think you're on the right track there. We spoke about it off air in terms of, you know, you, you see a lot of it and I'm obviously a rugby league fan. So you see a lot of it in rugby league. And again, yeah. not saying that what happened to you is anything where near what happens in rugby <laughs> league with contracts being terminated, but you see they're already, I think, way ahead in terms of their support with their athletes. Mm -hmm. If contracts are terminated, they're still getting support for you know mental health issues or, or league, whatever it might be they're still being supported whilst even though yeah. they moved on um again that's not your situation but i do think swimming can learn from that and you know whatever situation arises you know yes there's going to be processes in place but i think making sure they're looking after you guys as the human being and yeah. not just looking at you guys as the athletes and that was probably the biggest key thing that I learned through this process was unfortunately during this process, they really take away the human element. They completely forget on the other side of their emails and all those things that there is a human being having to deal with it. And, you know, I can understand they've got a process and a job to do and I completely respect the fact that it's an anti-doping system. I am all for ensuring that, you know, intentional dopers do not get through a system like this. Um but you've also got to ensure that you do understand that there is a human being behind there. The health and well-being of them still is important during a process like this because, you know, in the end you're going through the process. They've, you know, they did their job. They they found something in my system. It was unintentional, but they were still doing their job. And I do have the utmost respect for that. It was more the health and well-being and the mental health side of things that I was really disappointed in, but I look forward to helping them change that for the future. Yeah, absolutely. I look forward to, to seeing you working with them, mate. Now, during this whole crazy path back, after everything we've just spoken about, <laughs> you decide you want, you're going on SAS on Channel 7, oh, yeah. which is the yeah. most intense, crazy show I think I've seen in, in such a long time. What was that show like? I don't want to spend a lot of time on, on that, you know, that experience, but it was a part of it and you, you were yeah. in it. So what, what was that like for you? For me, that was kind of like an out from like feeling this 
I guess, trauma that I was going through. So I hadn't had any goals or anything like that through this process. So SAS gave me a goal. It got me up. It got me training because I thought, shit, I can't run. I need to do something. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I kind of watched the British version of it to kind of get an idea of what was going to be, I guess, entailed through this process. So it gave me a goal and actually got me off my ass, which was really a good thing for me. And, And that's actually why I said yes to it, to challenge myself and see what Shana Jack is capable of not just me as a swimmer but me as a human being so um it was insane let me be honest I can't run for shit um, <laughs> uh, you're not alone I don't think many swimmers can mate so I, I think haven't you're right run <laughs> since I was about like 13 so um I went on this show not realizing actually how much running you do do, um, but I'd actually spoken to like the doctors and the people who are involved in ensuring we're in good condition. Um, and they actually made the same decision as me and said, do not run because I get shin splints. They were like, don't start running until you physically get on the show and just get shin splints on the show and see how long you last. So that was the game plan when it came to the running. Um, so what a lot of people don't actually know is I actually pulled out because of the running challenges loved it such a good experience really tested myself but I actually thrived when it came to the experiences and the challenges um because it was kind of like training it was like oh crap you've got a hard set but you just got to do it you might not like it but your coach says to do it so you just do it um and so it's kind of the same thing you know Ant Middleton his um DS group would say jump out of a helicopter and you'd be like Alrighty, see you later. <laughs> Off we go. Um, whereas the running part was where I was struggling a lot. I thought, screw this shit, I'm out. <laughs> um, that was definitely, yeah. So I loved it, had a great experience, but I can tell you now, as soon as I made the decision to leave, I loved that decision. Uh, whereas a lot of sometimes the other guys who decided to leave um, potentially actually regretted their decision to leave and thought they could have gone further. But for me, I was actually really proud of myself and walked away head held high. Well, mate, credit to you for going on there. You wouldn't catch me on a show like that, that's for sure. I just, I, I, A, I have a problem with authority for starters. So anyone just screaming in my face, anything yeah. is never going to go very well. That was actually a question a lot of people ask me. They're like, oh, how did you handle that person screaming in your face? And I thought, well, it just made me feel like I was back at home at training. If you're doing a bad job, you're going to know about it. So yeah. I stuffed up in, a, in one of the courses and he, the DS made sure I knew about it. Well, that was my, my next question was going to be, how do you think Dean would go if he was like a DS on there? Do you think he would fit right in as one of those people? <laughs> um, yeah, I do think he'd fit in. In regards to, um, you know, actually being like on top of making yeah. people accountable for themselves, I think that was what the big thing we kind of learned. Like everyone was like, oh, they're so mean. I was like, actually, no, they're lovely. They make you accountable. If you're doing the wrong thing, you're getting in trouble. If you're doing the right thing, you know, there's nothing wrong with you and, and they'll have a bit of banter. And that's kind of how Dean runs as well. Dean is Dean loves his banter, loves having a joke around, but when it's time to be serious, it's time to be serious. So, you know, you need to kind of switch on to being that athlete and that elite athlete. Um, so I think he would love it, but honestly, I think he'd love being a um, recruit, to be honest. I think he'd be interesting to see how far he would push himself because we would all give him shit if he didn't make it very far because he pushes us like crazy. So he has to have a turn. Well, maybe I might start that petition to see if we can get <laughs> Dean on SAS. Look, I wouldn't I, I be surprised he... if they haven't asked him, but <laughs> I think again, his coaching career comes first and so maybe when he retires as a coach. Let's get him on there. That would be fantastic. Uh, what are they like when the cameras switch off? Are they a little bit more relaxed? I don't want you to give away too many secrets or, you know. You think the cameras switch off? Oh, God, no. No. So we're filmed 24-7 on that show. 
You don't really? get a ton. Yeah. So oh. you're filmed 24 seven. They just pick and choose what they want to use, um, which is again, like we ran a lot and they filmed it all. They just didn't show it because who the hell wants to watch you run? Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're filmed 24 seven. The only time that you're not filmed is just to do a mic change. Potentially if you're going in the water or something, they kind of cover the mics to ensure they don't get destroyed. Um, but yeah, the whole time you're filmed when you're sleeping, you're filmed when you're in the room. So they had mounted cameras in the actual, um, base cabins yeah and but then when we're out in the trucks and stuff they had team running so the team actually had to train i think a year and a half to be fit enough to do to actually film the course (laughs) so yeah yeah. that'd be a lot of running for them carrying all that stuff that'd be very heavy too yeah so it was uh 24 7 filming um and they i i loved the ds i um i connected a lot with um aunt middleton and billy um we yeah I just kind of resonated with them a lot and it was nice kind of hearing from them because it is quite similar I guess in relation to kind of what I was going through mentally they could kind of relate because they spoke about how in the military if you're not fit for battle and they class you as not fit for battle you get booted that's Mm. not your decision you might want to keep representing your country and doing everything you can but if they class you as unfit for battle um you get dropped and you lose the thing that you lived by so um, it was kind of nice chatting to them and actually getting a perspective. And and Aunt, and Aunt Middleton was actually the one who kind of convinced me that I should give swimming a go. Um, I was a bit kind of resentful and thought if they gave me two years um, that I wouldn't return because I thought, well, if they truly think that I deserve that much of a punishment, then, you know, why should I go back for them? Mm. Um and Aunt Middleton just turned around and said, you know, you know, why did you start swimming? And I thought, well, I love swimming. It makes me feel peaceful. It makes me feel like I'm, you know, letting go of anything I have outside of swimming. And he said, well, then why aren't you going back? You know, you don't swim for the medals. You swim to enjoy and to love it. And that's the reason you should return. And, and everything else is a bonus after that. Well, that is a uh, that's a fantastic takeaway, even for everyone just in yeah. it right now to even yeah. think to themselves, you know, why did I start swimming? And um, that's fantastic. As I said, more power to you, mate, for going on that show. That you, that's Thank crazy, you. Uh, <laughs> mate. So September this year, as I said, two years, three months from the date of the initial ban, you get the news you've been waiting to hear, which was you know you're free to return <laughs> to training and competition. Um, you know, you, you didn't knowingly take performance enhancing substances. Thus, you know, your two years has been served, um, you know, and it takes me back to a quote that I, I know resonates with you, which is success is not final. Failure is not fatal. Uh, and it's the courage to continue that counts. How much were those words with you when you found out that day that you could, uh, you could get back in? Look, it was definitely an amazing moment. Um, it was actually a funny moment as well, which I don't know if my partner will be happy with me telling, but I was actually in the shower and my phone started ringing and it was my lawyer and my, and my partner. He just looked at, us, looked at it and was like, oh, yeah, it's your lawyer. And I was like, oh, well, I'm in the shower, so you answer it. And I knew it was like <laughs> 7 o'clock at night, so I was like, well, he only would be calling at that time of night if he had a result for us. Um and up until this point, you haven't had great results come through. So it's not as no, if you're running so to the I phone really to be like, know. yeah. <laughs> yes. I, every time my lawyer ran, rang, my heart would start pounding. Yeah. So I tried to avoid those. And sometimes I would ignore him. So he would text me and be like, it's not the news. Call me back. Um, yep. So my partner actually answered the phone and, 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 it's, and instantly his face lit up and he started smiling. And I just knew instantly as soon as I saw him that, you know, the news meant that I was um, free and and he just kind of turned to me when he got off the phone and was like, you're safe, you're free, you're good. 
Um, and so I instantly like lit up. I, I definitely didn't have that like waft sensation of like, oh, it's all done. Cause I yeah. think I'd been in such a protection mode for two years that I'd gotten comfortable being that person. Um, I actually got really emotional in the first couple of weeks that had kind of, um, you know, once I was finally cleared and that nothing could happen after this, I, you know, was really emotional and actually was, you know, quite upset a lot. Um, and, you know, I guess the concept around that and what people who I've spoken to, like my psychologist and stuff, she talks about that's actually my body finally letting myself feel what I needed to feel and actually feeling so happy and overwhelmed with everything I've been through and proud of myself that my body's emotion reaction is cry, you know, <laughs> let all that crying out, even though I've cried a million times, let's do some more. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, it was just one of those crazy sensations and, and it was nice once again, going to training and having everyone get around me and get really excited for me. Um, you know, it was a, it was a realization of, I am safe. You know, I am back to swimming. I can do what I want to do. I can set myself goals again. Cause I guess until I got that decision, I was always scared to set myself goals in case they turned around and had said that I get four years and I'm, you know, I have to walk away. Um, so yeah, it was a sensational feeling. That first session back, what was that like with, with the team (laughs) and with cut? Like, was that emotional? Uh, What did they do? Anything? Was it celebrating? What was it like? Which ones? The one in May or the one in September? So I was back in May training because a part of the rules, I was my first original decision was upheld until or if it changed. So yep. technically I was back in May, um, which was kind of crappy timing because it was winter, which sucked. But um, <laughs> Dean and the team were obviously in prep for Olympics. So I kind of kept my distance from them and let them focus because I knew that they had a big thing coming towards them. And so I kind of just kept my distance and just kind of enjoyed turning up to training. And, and they were away a fair bit anyway. So I probably didn't really get to sit down with Dean until he'd returned back to the pool in October. Um, that was probably the first time we'd actually got to be together on pool deck. Um, but that was an amazing moment. And instantly, you know, I could see how I swam changed. You know, my motivation changed with him being around Um because we'd have kind of like this like side hustle where he'd say something and, you know, we'd just bounce off each other when it comes to um, how I train. And, you know, he's very honest with me and, and he'll say, this is good, this is bad, this is what I need to improve on. And, and it's really nice having those clear judgments from somebody and having that clear direction again. Um, he's a massive asset to my team. Oh, mate, it was good to see you obviously back and enjoying yourself. Now, obviously, the, the clear question here is, where to now for Shayna Jack? I'm just putting on my news voice here. But obviously, we're in the sport, mate, and we, we know it's not sometimes that easy. Do you and Dean have a, a clear sort of goal? Do you have a short little stepping stones in mind? Have you kept kept it very clear and just sort of enjoy yourself for a while and then build it back? You know, what is what is the road back? What is the roadmap? Let's get let's take a topical <laughs> thing because all the bloody uh, every government has a roadmap. What what is the Shayna Jack roadmap look like? So it's very clear and it's very um, back straight to the point of being, you know, that athlete that I've always wanted to be. Um, So my first race will be, I guess, that first hurdle. Um, I know it's going to be quite emotional. So I am doing States in December. So my first race is on the 13th of December. So, you know, my friends and my family have a hashtag Team Jack shirt that they're going to be wearing. So that'll be exciting. Uh, (laughs) Just kind of trying to make that fun and enjoyable because I do know – that will be an emotional race just because I'll be so happy to just be proud of myself to, you know, be racing again and, and have that pride being back on the blocks again. So 
Um, I'm going to enjoy that one, but the hard work is definitely all, it's all back on track. I am, you know, I'm doing everything like everybody else. Um, I'm not cutting any corners in regards to, you know, shorter sessions or anything like that. Um, I am training exactly like the Olympic guys, which is, which is really nice to kind of have that confidence to be able to do that. Um, and the clear goal is um, next year's Worlds and Commonwealth Games. So our world trials are in April. Um, and if you do get selected for Worlds, you do have the chance to be automatically selected for Commonwealth Games. So that's my clear direction. That's the same with Dean. Um, we definitely have a point to prove, but we've both discussed that we're just going to let my swimming do the talking and, and take it from there. Well, mate, I'm excited to hear that. And as I said, I didn't want to preempt it. I feel like just even coming through this conversation with you, you're someone who's very driven and and would have those clear goals. But I didn't want to assume. So, I'm, no, I'm, but I'm, no, I'm excited to hear. Yeah. Definitely a more a lot more. Um, I guess more hungry for justice, if that makes sense. Uh, I yeah. I do feel like what I went through was an injustice in sport, and you know, my point to prove is is going to be told through my swimming, and it's just going to you know, hopefully nothing else can knock me down. So onwards and upwards from here. Wait, well, I'm looking forward to it. And I just wanted to say, you know, we're wrapping up in a second here, mate, but um, on behalf of the swimming community here in Australia, uh, you know, welcome back. And obviously we're really looking Thank forward you. to seeing you in competition in uh, in December. Um, I don't think anybody truly understands except for yourself and, and obviously those close around you, what you'd gone through. But I'm so glad to, you know, see you've cleared your name, that you're back through those dark days uh, and that you're getting back into it. Do you have anything to say to those who had supported you from afar, obviously, because no doubt those close to you know what you think of, of them for sure. But <laughs> yeah. do you have anything to say for those who supported you from afar? No, I just wanted to say a massive thank you to everybody who has stood by me from the beginning and even more so the people who actually got behind me um, and invested in my fight as well. You know, it was hard for me to ask for money from people to actually finish my fight. But as I said, I was stubborn and I wasn't going to let, um, you know, accusations about me take over my life. So I'm eternally grateful for the people who actually got behind me, um, you know, whether it be messages, whether it be love, support, anything that they did. You know, you guys made a massive difference to me because you also did help me get through each day um, and ensure that I continued my fight to change this injustice and also educate you guys on the future of sport. Oh, well said, mate. And I said to you before we even started, I'm quite, well, I'm glad we got to tell this story, but I'm actually on the side quite shitty because I feel like <laughs> there's so much more to talk to you about as you as an athlete and, you know, even just the way you're speaking now and you're so driven. Uh, I feel like I, I definitely we need to get you back on again. Will you come back on again maybe sometime next year after you've had a bit of time to get back into it and we can have a, a chat about uh, yes. more positive things? Yes, we'll be chatting more about the highlights of my career after this case and before this case. So I really look forward to chatting more about my swimming career and what's to come. Yeah, absolutely, mate. No, I can't wait, as I said, to, to see over the next, you know, two and a half years. Obviously, we've got a lot of swimming coming up and I'm really looking forward to, to seeing you on your way back. Um, thank you very, very much for coming on the podcast today, mate. And as I said, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, say a lot of things, but you're someone who, who you know, kept your word all the way through. We're having this conversation now. I'm so glad we, we were able to. I'm so grateful. And, uh, mate, as I said, I'm looking forward to seeing you back in the pool as everybody is come competition <laughs> time. But uh, more than anything, I'm just I'm 
you know, excited to see you happy again, enjoying what Thank you're doing, you. uh, not being, you know, run down by things around you. And uh, you definitely look like you're in a great state of mind at the moment. So thank you very much for coming on Off The Block Swim podcast. Thank you for having me. I look forward to chatting in the future. Thanks, mate. Today's episode of Off The Block Swimming podcast is proudly brought to you by our fantastic sponsors at Pro Swim Workouts. Head over to proswimworkouts.com today to find out more information about the great work that Nico and the team are doing for swimming coaches right now. DMC fins are the best training fins in the business. Just have a look around in everybody's kit bag on pool deck and there's a pair of DMC fins in there. Swimmers, surfers, they're all using DMC fins as their choice of aquatic propulsion. Even superstar Cody Simpson is using DMC fins to help with his training towards Paris 2024. Head over to dmcfins.com.au right now for all the latest deals and discounts on fins as well as hand paddles and other training aids and use the promotion code off the blocks for a 10% discount at checkout. I just wanna be with you.